Welcome, Redemption Arcadia. Let's stand together as we begin our time in worship. It's so nice to see everyone today. And we're going to read part of Psalm 95, um, the first six verses together um, as we begin our time in worship. So let's read this. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker.
the God of our salvation. Hosts on high his power proclaim.
pray with me? God, what a gift it is to be able to come this morning and sing together that you are the great I am, that you are holy, to take our eyes off of ourselves and our circumstances, God, and put them back onto you, God. You are so worthy of all of our praise. So God, thank you for the chance that we get this morning to sing it, to proclaim it, to believe that you are holy, God. You are the great I am. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, and all the church said, amen. All right, let's have a seat. Thanks for being here. Thank you, band. Well, welcome. If you're new here, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here and also one of the Tylers here, me and this guy. Um, We are one church in 10 local congregations throughout Arizona. We're gospel-centered and outward-focused and believe that all of life is all for Jesus. And that's much more than a tagline for us. Um, So we are excited to announce that um, for any parents in here of middle schoolers or high schoolers, uh, we're doing a youth winter camp coming up real soon. And we're super excited for for that. If you grew up in the church like me, um, winter camps and summer camps, that whole rhythm thing was so vital for my uh, upbringing and, and faith understanding as I grew up. One of the cool things that Trey's worked really hard to do is, uh, Trey is our next-gen pastor leading this, um, is that the camp is being able to be offered for 85 bucks, which uh, I always remember those camps being like 250 bucks, not that I had to pay for it at the time, but all that to say, so um, we really, really want all of the middle schoolers and high schoolers in our church to be there. Uh, Trey and the youth team are working hard on prepping that, and it's going to be such a sweet time, so... Um, tell others too, if you know of other uh, people in the church who aren't here today, let them know because we want them here. And so you can find out more on our website about that. Um, come find Trey or I, and we'll get you more information on that. Okay. All right. So we have a family business update for you as well. So Heather Miller has served as our kids coordinator, and she has, after much prayer, decided to step away from that role on our staff. And so let's invite her and her family up. So we can get to know them, yeah. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Hi, Dave. Hi, Crash. Hi, Roman. Hi. Well, uh, so Heather um, has been a part of our staff, actually, since November 2017, which is, I think when I texted you, I was like, how long has it been? Like a a year or two? And you're like, no, more than three. At least three. Uh, Where has all that time gone? What's happened? I know. It's been, it's gone fast. It's gone super fast. So I have a couple questions for you. So thinking back on that time, how would you sum up your time on staff with us? What are some of the things that you remember? Yeah. So um, a couple of the things that stand out for me is just the way that the staff really supports each other. Hmm. Um, We're all kind of willing to jump in where needed. Um, But there's a couple instances that come to mind as I think about this. Um, So one of them is when Frank isn't here or another place teaching, preaching, he is often in the three- to four-year-old's classroom hanging out with little kids, which is kind of um, awesome awesome to see. Um, The second is, I think it was probably um, Tyler Thompson had just started first couple weeks in, and I had texted you as I thought it was you um, to come help in one of the nursery classrooms. It was, it was really busy. Yeah. And I had actually texted Tyler Thompson. <laughs> so when I came back to check on the classroom, I found Tyler hanging out with little kids. He just, yeah. I, and I was like, oh. <laughs> 
Thanks for being Thanks here. Thanks for coming. Super glad you're here. <laughs> so um, just, yeah, the way that we support each other is really cool. That's cool. Yeah. And so what are some of your professional and personal plans moving forward? And how can we as your church family be praying for you in this next season? Yeah, so professionally, I've accepted a position uh, with an insurance company as a business analyst. It's a field I've worked in before working at Redemption um, for about 11 years. So I'm really familiar with it. I'm excited to get back into it. Yeah. Um, personally, first I want to say that um, as a family, we've decided that um, it's really important that we stay connected to this community as a church. And so um, our kids have been really blessed and poured into by Trey and the youth ministry. And so um, we just think it's really important. We love the teaching here, the worship. So um, personally, we're here. <laughs> um, and then as uh, for prayer, um, the transition to um, for the church as this role is transitioning um, for with me stepping out. Um, just prayer for a lot of grace during that time. Um, and as we find new rhythms of rest and what that looks like going forward, um, as well as like for Dave and I, as we're raising these two, um, kids, teenagers, wonderful children. Yeah. Um, a lot of wisdom, (laughs) um, for that. Yeah, that's great. And so the reason I asked the whole family to come up is you might know that um, working for a church often can be a, a family affair that it's Heather's gifting, it's Heather's faithfulness and work, but it's also, so, uh, sorry, also the support of these guys up here too through that whole season. So Dave, first, I just wanted to take a chance to say thank you on behalf of the church uh, for all those Sundays that you had to just hold it down solo at home for all the times that you came, at, came to church and didn't get to sit next to your wife because she was busy working for all, all the ways that you stepped it up and you, you've just been really faithful and I just want to say thanks. So we love you. Kiddos, you're not kids really, but you know what's funny? Side note, my daughter yesterday who's eight. How old are you? Twelve. Okay. She's eight. She goes, Dad, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm eight. (laughs) I was like, okay. Anyway, you guys, I hope you know how much we love you. And uh, Trey and the youth leaders here, uh, we just love you guys. You have been such a blessing to have around, and I just hope you know that. So thanks for letting us you're your mom the last few years. Uh, and Heather, lastly, um, I just, we've said this many times, but you have been so faithful, and I just want to thank you for that. Um, this is one of those bittersweet transitions where we're going to miss you, but we're also really excited for what you're doing. This is one of those good transitions that uh, is, is a really sweet thing in the church. So, and as you know, you may never get to see the fruit of what you did here, but hopefully God will show you that, but you may not. And So just know that God's going to bear fruit from your service for years to come. So um, just I hope you are encouraged. So church, will you pray with me over the Millers? Um, God, we just thank you for them. Thank you for Dave and Crash and Roman and for Heather, for all the years of faithful service and uh, for the years to come of just joyful service in the church and getting to be part of our family. God, thank you that they have been a family to my wife and I. And I hope that we as the church can be a family to them as well. So, God, we pray that you would answer their prayers in this next season, that their family would grow close together, and that Heather and Dave would be able to exemplify in the home what it looks like to live out uh, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving lives all throughout the week, including Sundays. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's thank them for coming up here.
Now you might notice Heather didn't leave, um, and that's on purpose, she's not lost. Um, <laughs> we have another exciting announcement too, and that is that we have uh, made a decision on hiring our next kids coordinator, and so we're gonna announce her to you together as well, so you can get to know her. And this is someone that you've gotten to work with the last few months, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I'm really excited about the person that you guys have chosen to hire in my, um, in my position here. Um, just from day one, she, was a, she started volunteering. Um, she's kind of been just available for whatever is needed. Um, it's been just a huge blessing to me. Um, and yeah, so recently uh, we put on our very first ever um, in the sanctuary, a Christmas nativity skit. How many and so, of you guys saw that, the Christmas play that we did? Yeah, it was so sweet. It was really yeah. fun. Um, and so she jumped right in. She has a lot of um, gifting with working, directing um, with kids. So uh, she jumped right in, organized it, ran the show. It was awesome. And yeah. so I'm just really excited. Yeah, so it's Emmy Payne. So Emmy, why don't you make your way up here? Hi, Emmy. Hi, Welcome. Tyler. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your heart for kids ministry. Yeah, um, so my name's Emmy Payne. Um, I've been going to Redemption Arcadia for almost a year and a half now. Uh, I am super excited to jump into kids ministry. Um, it's a, my honor to be a blessing to the parents while you guys get to sit in service to know that your child is safe and loved in the classrooms. Um, I also love pouring into the children and being able to show them how to follow and love Jesus. Um, a little bit about my personal life. Um, I was born and raised. I wasn't, I, didn't, I wasn't born. I was just raised. I was born in Utah, raised in Los Angeles, a little town above Los Angeles, actually, with five younger brothers. I was a camp counselor and a programs coordinator at a bunch of summer camps out um, in California. And then I moved to Arizona and we went to Grand Canyon University. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then I uh, was most recently an executive director at Actors Youth Theater in Gilbert. Yeah. 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 So we're really excited to have her. And Easter's just around the corner, so we've been working on that. We've also been working on one other thing. Tell them about that. Well, I've been working on a parent date night. Woohoo! You know? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to take your kids along with some other babysitters that um, we're going to get. And we're going to do some pizza, some movies. And you guys get a parent night out while we keep the kids here and build community That's that way. That's a smart move to start with, right? Immediate buy-in from every parent in here. She's great. Yeah. Okay. And how can we be praying for you in this next season? Yeah, uh, I think transitions in leadership are always hard, so just prayers for grace and patience as I settle in. Um, I think also prayers for our ministry as a whole. Um, we really need to um, keep rebuilding post-COVID. Uh, we're slowly but surely um, growing back to the capacity that we used to be at, so uh, more volunteers in that way or figuring out wh what our direction is. Uh, to our volunteers who have been serving, thank you so much. As Heather knows, we cannot do this without you guys. Um, so it's we're we super love it. Keep doing what you do best: faithfully showing up and loving our families. And I think we can do it. Uh, lastly, um, prayers for just our ministry mission that uh, will continue to glorify God through our work by partnering with parents to make disciples of Jesus. 
And I think that's, that's where I, we could use the prayers. Yeah. Join me in praying one last time. God, please bless Emmy and her work here. God, may she always remember that the most important thing she can do is love you, God, and make you her highest treasure, her first pursuit. And God, let her never forget that. And we do pray that you'd give her favor and wisdom and patience as she jumps in. And God, help us to be a good support to her as well in this role. So thank you, God, that you call people in, you call people out, and it's all for your glory. So God, we give that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's thank them for coming up. Thank you. And let's stand for the reading of God's word. Good morning, church. Today's reading is John 6, 60 through 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, thank you, Andrea. Good morning, Redemption. Good to see you all this morning. If you're new, we're glad you're here. My name is Frank. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, just a, another word about uh, the transition that's taking place. Um, uh, Heather, who has been our director for the last three and a half years, um, Heather was actually, I came here nine years ago. Actually, next, next weekend will be nine years that I came to Redemption Arcadia. And Heather was already here. She was actually a part of Praxis. Um, and uh, I got to know Heather quite rapidly when I first got here. She was one of those people that I just happened to get to know. And that was uh, really a blessing for me. I, I've known Heather uh, always as somebody who is strong, who is courageous. And this is the, I think this is the word that best describes her. She, she has tremendous grit. And uh, she's... Um, had some challenges, and she's been, uh, you know, she's been dealt a, a hand of cards that maybe not every one of us would want, but she has persevered through it by the strength of the Lord and the filling of the Spirit. And, and, and just looking at her and knowing her has been a tremendous blessing in my life. And then when we got her on staff uh, three and a half years ago, man, we just knew that was going to be great. Um, we're also excited about what she's transitioning into and doing um, prior to... Um, being our, our, our children's coordinator, she was, uh, she was a really strong in the marketplace, in business, and, 
and uh, did a big job, and she's going back into that now, and so we're excited about that for her as well. So all of this is really good. We're going to miss her. She's standing back there with her husband Dave and her kids. You know, we're going to miss her at the staff meetings. But uh, and then it's just weird how in Phoenix. I think some of you know this. The the Christian community in Phoenix is actually pretty small. Dave, her husband, uh, he and I have actually known each other longer than I've known. Um, Heather, because Dave was a part of the church that I was at prior to coming to Redemption Arcadia. He was on the music team there and played bass guitar for us, and we've known each other for years and years and years, and now we're all together here, so that's kind of cool. But anyway, blessings to you guys. It's been tremendous, and we appreciate it, and uh, we know you're not going anywhere, but, um, but there is this transition going on. And then Emmy coming on board. She has been an absolute delight the last year that we've been able to get to know her. And really watching that little nativity play that we did uh, prior to Christmas and knowing uh, how much work and effort she put into that, organizing that, um, we're excited about Emmy coming on board. Um, And she got to have her first staff meeting this week, in fact, this last week, as a matter of fact. And and I think it's just going to be a great fit. So all good stuff. We're excited about all that. So... Thanks, you guys. Appreciate your service here. And uh, now you can go watch some football, Dave. I know that's what you're, you know, so, all right. Um, we, a couple of quick uh, announcements. Um, the Women's Bible Study started this last Thursday. Uh, want to encourage you to, again, uh, be reminded of that. And you, you're more than welcome to come. It's in this, in this building um, on Thursday mornings at 9 o'clock, and then the, the men's study is starting back up tomorrow morning. So that one uh, is on Monday mornings at 6.30, from 6.30 to 7.30 in this room. Steve Wheeler leads that, and that's starting up uh, again tomorrow morning, and he's going to be going through that book, um, The Gospel According to Satan. It's eight lies that Satan tells people in the church that we tend to believe, and so it's a book that refutes those lies. So that's some really uh, good stuff. If you're interested in that, you just need to show up. By the way, for the women's study, there is going to be child care. Uh, there is already child care for that as well. And I think uh, when Tyler does a benediction today, he'll have a couple of other updates for us as well. All right. So at Redemption Church, we are a church that likes to work through books of the Bible. Uh, we will do some topical stuff occasionally. Advent is obviously a top, kind of a topical time. Um, but we like to work through books of the Bible, and we've been going through the book of John. And, and Andrea read for us today uh, those last 12 verses of John chapter 6. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning. And we need to remember that everything that's happening in these last 12 verses of chapter 6 is still in context of the rest of the chapter of John chapter 6, which starts with uh, Jesus going across the, the Sea of Galilee to the northeast side, where he feeds the 5,000, he multiplies the, the bread and the fish. And then immediately after that event, uh, every, he and his 12 move back across the, the Sea of Galilee to the northwest side, back into the area of Capernaum. And we have that event where Jesus walks on water. Uh, all the people that he fed on the northeast side wake up the next morning. Jesus is gone. They want more bread. They want more fish. And so they try to figure out where Jesus is. So they all head over to the other side. And, and we have that confrontation there where they came and they said to Jesus, hey, where did you go? What, what happened to you? And Jesus reads the subtext of the question. He knows that they're just there for more free food. And he says, you didn't come over here for me. You came over here for the free bread. And what you need to understand is that I am the bread of life. 
You came over here for bread, and there is bread here, but it's not the bread that you're looking for. It's the bread that you absolutely need. And so he says, I am the bread of life, the first of the seven great I am statements. And then he goes on to explain a little bit more, and he says, anybody who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. It's his way now of saying, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. You'll have salvation. You'll have forgiveness of sin. You'll have redemption. You'll have restoration. You'll have all of those things. Well, saying that didn't go over very well, and so there was quite a bit of pushback. And we looked at all of that last week. And now his disciples react and respond to what Jesus says. And so that's kind of where we are, a little review to get us up to date And so we're just going to go through these 12 verses, and we're going to just start with 60, verse 60. There's a lot there. It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So what saying is hard? What are they referring to when they say this is a hard saying? Well, look back at the the verses immediately preceding verse 60. Look at 54 through 58. Jesus is speaking and he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on that last day. For my flesh is true food and my body is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my, he keeps saying it. I mean, you're sitting there and you're going, wow, this is kind of gross. This is like, I'm hearing some cannibalism, and he just keeps pounding away. He keeps saying it. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This, and I imagine him pointing at himself at this point, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate. Now he's referring there to the book of Exodus and the escape from Egypt and the wilderness wanderings and how God provided manna, bread from heaven, for the Jews. And so they're looking for that kind of manna again, and he's saying, I am that manna, but it's me. So you're not looking for for flour, you're looking actually for me if you knew what you were looking for. So he says, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So the disciples hear that, and and they're with the rest of the crowd. They're like, this saying is very, very hard. This is hard to listen to. That word hard, translated from the Greek, uh, can also mean harsh. It can mean violent. It can mean difficult. I like this one. It can mean not easily accepted. I think that's kind of the... That's kind of the the situation that they're in. It's not easy to accept what Jesus is saying. In today's parlance, the way we use language today, we might say that what Jesus is saying is cringeworthy. We just don't like to hear it. And so what Jesus is saying, though, is that the way to life, so the way to salvation, the way to forgiveness of sin, the way to reconciliation with God is to embrace him fully. But he says it in this very hard way. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And even his disciples are, meeting, are, are missing the, the meaning of Jesus' rhetoric. I know it can be difficult to hear, but when he says over and over, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's not speaking literally. He's just saying, you have to believe in me. That's what this whole Gospel of John is about. Everywhere you go in the Gospel of John, it's about believing in Jesus. And this is Jesus' way of saying it. He says, you've got to believe in the one that the Father sent. 
And again, we know that this is correct, the correct interpretation, because in the verses we haven't gotten to yet, 63 and 64, Jesus says this, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This hard saying, these hard words, they're actually spirit and life. I'm giving you spirit and life here, but there are some of you who do not believe. So this is what it's all about. It's about whether or not you believe. So I I know everybody's been through this. I, I go through this a lot. You ever been talking to someone? You're trying to get your point across, and you're thinking, this is so easy to understand. Why aren't they getting it? They can't seem to get it. You're trying to explain it to them. But, but nothing seems to work, and so you try a different illustration. You try a different way of saying it. You try a metaphor. You try a rhetorical scheme. Whatever, it, you try all these different approaches, and they still don't get it. Well, here you go. These disciples of Jesus each have an entire lifetime of seeing and understanding things in only one particular way. And now Jesus comes along and says something like this, and they're struggling to keep up. They're struggling to understand. They don't get it. Maybe we should cut them some slack. And maybe we could cut ourselves and each other some slack as well. I tell you, I struggle with this so much on both sides of the ledger. Sometimes I'm sitting with somebody or even in a small group, and I'm the one thoroughly dazed and confused, wishing I could keep up, completely lost. And sometimes I'm the one wondering why the other person is having such a hard time getting it. And it's a communication problem that afflicts us all. Um, Just a little inside baseball. I'm hoping it's helpful for, for you to understand that you're not the only one in this boat. When I get impatient because someone can't keep up with what I'm trying to say, later on I will feel guilty about my impatience. And the reason for that is because patience is a fruit of the Spirit, And conviction is a work of the Spirit. So the Spirit convicts me of where I have been falling short. And on the other side of that ledger, when I'm the one who can't keep up, later on I feel annoyed and frustrated with myself at how ignorant I am. And this internal self-division that I know all of us battle with is one of the most profound and devastating effects of original sin. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, it separated them from God. That's the first effect of that that rebellion that you see in Genesis chapter 3. The second one is is that you, you see that they're separated from each other. There's division between Adam and Eve. So now there's division between Adam and Eve and God. There's division between Adam and Eve. Immediately, there was also division between Adam and Eve and the good creation. So we're divided against creation as well. We're separated from creation. And the fourth thing that happens because of that sin is that we're separated from ourselves. We're divided in ourselves. We have hearts that we can't even trust that lead us astray all the time. And I want you to hear this. I... I'm not saying that I shouldn't be less impatient. I should be more patient. Amen? We all should. I didn't get an amen there. That's, yeah, okay. I do need to be more patient. I'm not saying I shouldn't strive to be more patient. And, and I'm also not saying that I shouldn't challenge myself to be better at keeping up in conversations. Those, are, those things are true. I need to work on those things. 
But what I am saying is that this is why Jesus came. Jesus came not only to rescue us from our sin against God and the separation from God that we experience because of that, but he, he also came to rescue us from ourselves. He came to rescue us from ourselves. In any event, the disciples are struggling with this idea of eating and drinking, and so Jesus explains in 61 through 65. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Hear that. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And there it is again. Once again, we're confronted with the reality that salvation is a work of God and it is not a work of human beings. There's a, there's a new religion out there in our culture today. And I say that uh, meaning it's, it's not new necessarily chronologically. It's just been repackaged and renamed and remarketed for us. It's the same religion that existed in Genesis chapter 3. It's the same religion that we've had since in the history of humanity since sin entered our condition. It's just been repackaged. It's just been renamed. It's just been given new life by giving a different perspective. It's self-autonomy and self-authority. And the tenets of this new religion of self-autonomy and self-authority go like this. I decide who I am. I decide what I am. I decide what's true for me. And this might be the most important tenet. No one can dispute with me or argue with me because I am the final authority. And if anybody disputes with me or argues with me or disagrees with me, there's something wrong with that person. Everything's okay with me. This person has some fear, some bias, some uh, whatever it is. There's something wrong with them. I'm okay. The Bible says that God is the great I am. But I say, I am the great I am. And that's the end of the discussion. But can't we see that even this is, in fact, a work of the flesh? It's a work of the flesh. It's an attempt to find deliverance and salvation from the evil and dysfunction of this world by our own methods. And we use that word flesh the same way Jesus uses it in this passage. It's the fallen and sinful nature that we all have including the sinful corruption of our will, our emotions, and our intellect. In these verses, Jesus is saying, the flesh is no help at all. It just leads us astray. Now, this is not to say that we don't have agency. This is not to say that we don't get to make decisions. If this, if this were true, that agency is out of our hands, then there wouldn't be so much emphasis in the Bible on wisdom. We need wisdom in order to practice our agency, our will, and our decision-making. So our agency is, is a reality, but it's not an excuse or a justification for sin. You know, it's easy to be 
to feel like you're saved or delivered from sin when we can decide for ourselves that our sin isn't sin at all, but in fact, our sin is truth and virtue and it's our identity. We take something that's wrong and we turn it into our identity and now we exalt it as our virtue and we say there's nothing wrong with it. The problem is with you. And it's easy to justify that kind of, quote, salvation because we're the ones who worked it out and we have final authority. But it's all a work of the flesh and it's exactly what the gospel of Jesus says is empty, useless, and self-destructive. That's why we need Jesus. That's the gospel story. That's why we need the Holy Spirit of Jesus to move in our lives. Jesus comes and calls us to believe. This is what he says, the work, quote, work of salvation is, that we just believe. And then he goes on in verses 66 through 71. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. I find it interesting that Jesus cared for the crowd and showed compassion to the crowd when they were hungry, when they were just a couple of days earlier, were on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. He cared for them and had compassion for them and made sure that they got fed. But now he feels absolutely no need to pursue the crowd when they turn away from him. Just think about this. Jesus is willing to lead the 99 to go after the one, but he's not willing to lead the 12 to go after the crowd. Why is that? The reason is because he's not willing to give up the truth of his message, nor uh, the, the mission that he has been sent to accomplish in this world, nor is he willing to embrace the glory of human affirmation and approval. If Jesus wanted human affirmation and approval, it would have been so easy for him. But he said, no, that would take me off my mission. It would be not only a distraction, but it would be destructive I am going to stay on mission and I'm going to speak the truth no matter how unpopular it makes me. And it made him pretty unpopular. They killed him for it. So what we find in these verses is actually fairly routine. The good news of Jesus isn't such good news to everyone. Now think back. Again, this is why it's good to have all of chapter 6 in context. Go back to just verse 15 in chapter 6. In verse 15... These very same people who just left him, they wanted to make him king. Two days earlier, they were scrambling to make him king, and now they're fleeing. They're running. They're walking away from him. What causes that? We have to understand that as people of God, we're people of God here. We need to understand that many are put off by the idea that they need redemption for their sin. And so people walk away from the good news of the gospel all the time. Well, I don't need that. I don't need that. So why were they there, those that were there in the first place with Jesus? We've talked about this for three weeks now. It's the same problem we've explored before. Many people who follow Jesus for a little while follow him because they think they're going to get something from him. 
They're looking for a constant food supply. They're looking for free health care. They're looking for this, this easy, no-must, no-fuss life with no difficulties, no challenges, no suffering, no, no tribulation. And when they realize this isn't the program, that that's not reality, off they go. They're off to something else. And it, and it just reminds me of the parable in Matthew 13... Jesus tells the parable of the seeds and the soil and the sower. And it reminds me of the second and the third seed. Jesus explains it this way. The seed falling on rocky ground, that's the second seed, refers to someone who hears the word, the word of God, the gospel, and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, since they have no depth, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution, persecution comes because of the word, from the world, I would add, they fall away. And then the third seed, the seed falling on the thorns, refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life choke the word, making it unfruitful. They're too distracted by the world. And Jesus knew, as indicated by today's text, that many would walk away. That's just part of the deal. This didn't take him by surprise, shouldn't take us by surprise doesn't mean that we don't keep going after people. It doesn't mean that we don't proclaim the gospel. It doesn't mean that we don't invite people into understanding and knowing who Jesus is, but understand that not everybody is going to respond the same way we would or we do. But Peter, Peter kind of feels put on the spot, and he gets it. Now, as much as we like to take shots at Peter and make fun of him, at least in the Gospels anyway, not in Acts. Don't make fun of Peter. He's like a different person post-resurrection. But in the Gospels, we like to kind of, you know, foot-and-mouth Peter, impetuous Peter. We like to make fun of him. As much as we like to do that, here he gets this right. He he shows us a little glimmer of who he's going to be in the book of Acts right here. He says Jesus is the one, the only one, with the words of eternal life. Where else is there to go? The answer, of course, is nowhere. Nowhere that actually has eternal life, that is. Uh, Truth is, we do have other places where we can go. The world supplies us with with fake gospels where we can go to try to find um, relief from our pain and our disorientation and our sin. The world can offer us pleasure and our career, our vocation. It can offer us power and status. It can offer us education. Um, There are times when even... Uh, We'll see the crowd moving in a particular way, and we don't want to get left behind, and so we'll go with the crowd, even though we have no idea where the crowd is going. It's got to be better than where we are because nobody's staying where I am. I'm going to go with the crowd. And here's the thing that we need to see about these other options. It's not that they're necessarily bad. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, nothing wrong. Let me state it more positively. Education is good. Career and vocation, good. Power in the right context, good. Status in the right context, good. Pleasure is good. I thought that should get an amen from somebody. (laughs) Pleasure is good. The problem is when we take those things, those are good things, but we take them and we elevate them to ultimate things. We elevate them to new gospels apart from Jesus. That's when they become bad things. That's when they become destructive. That's when we start worshiping them and giving them our lives and they can't return anything for that. And it's about how our hearts are oriented. 
Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, money is the root of all evil, right? That's not what he said. He said the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. People want to make money the problem. Money's not the problem. It's the love of money. It's our, the way our hearts are oriented towards money. Money can be a wonderful thing. It can be a good thing. But if our hearts are oriented towards money or any of these other things in an unhealthy way, trying to substitute these things for Jesus, that's when they become a problem. Peter says what is actually very hard for us to say. Jesus, you are enough. Our founding pastor, Tom Schrader, used to say all the time, you never know how much you need Jesus until Jesus is all you have. One time, just a couple of years after God saved me, so this would be 1989, um, things were not going, that's an understatement, things were going horribly for me. Uh, Circumstantially, relationally in a lot of ways, just not going well. And in a moment, when it all seemed to come at me at the same time, I made a decision that I was through with God. Tried walking with him for two years. This is what I get. Things aren't going so well. My life is the furthest thing from that easy, no muss, no fuss life. I'm done. I am out. But being the pragmatic guy I am, once I made that decision, I almost immediately started asking my, myself these questions. So then, what's next? Where do I go from here? What do I do? There's got to be something else to replace this. There, there is meaning to life, right? There's something out there. So what do I do? Where do I go? How do I fill this void now? And I'm not kidding. Seriously, I'm not kidding. It was about an hour, and I was saying to myself, well, where else am I going to go? What else can I possibly do? And I said to myself, this is pretty stupid. I can do better than Jesus? Doubt it. And that little episode in my life was over in about an hour, never to be entertained again. Now, having said that, you've got to hear this. You've got to hear this. Do I still get frustrated? Yes. Of course I do. Am I still impatient? I can say it with some conviction. Do I get tired? Man, I'm tired right now. Do you know how hard it is to stand here for 30 minutes and do this? Do I get tired? Do I get bored? Do I get discouraged? Of course, I'm a human being. All of those things still happen. But like Peter, I know now that really Jesus is the answer. Here's a hard saying. I think this is a hard saying for us today. No matter what we are going through, we should ask God what the purpose is. Because for those of us who are his, there, is no, there are no purpose, purposeless circumstances. So start asking yourself these questions. Rather than walking away from God, which is what I did in 1989 for an hour, now I ask myself these questions. Is this difficulty some sort of a discipline for me? You know what the Bible says about discipline, and this is true. We all hate discipline in the moment. But the reason we do it is because we know that there's fruit at the other end of it. There's something good that's going to come out of it. So, is this difficulty some sort of discipline for me? 
Is this difficulty that I'm going through, is it designed to help me understand others better and to have more empathy for them? That's a good thing. This difficulty that I'm going through, is it somehow saving me from going through something that's even more difficult? Yes, God will do that sometimes. There are times when I'm in the middle of something, and again, I'm feeling like God really has it in for me. He's he's really upset. And then later on, once it's over, once he's brought me through that, and I look back, I begin to realize it could have been a lot worse. He could have had me go through this or this or this. That was actually a blessing and a grace that he had me go through that instead. This difficulty that I'm going through, is it actually preparing me for something magnificent? You know, a lot of us go through really lousy stuff in order to be better at something later on. This difficulty that I'm going through, is it teaching me something that God has tried to teach me before in different ways, but I've been too stubborn to listen to him? This difficulty of mine, is it being used to God by God to show others his grace through me? Those are important questions to ask. And then you see, again, starting in verse 67, the 12 are referenced. This certainly confirms beautifully God's plan for the 12. And remembering that he had a plan for 12, but his plan also was that one was actually going to betray him. And then his plan was that Paul was eventually going to step in and help fill that void as well. You know, if Jesus wanted to, Jesus could have had a mega church. He could have, he could have been that guy. He could have had a church um, of 10,000 and then multi-campuses, so a church of 30,000. He could have been the guy that's writing the books. He could have been the guy that's on the podcasts and all of that stuff. He could have been that guy. But ultimately, he understood that you don't need numbers to start a movement that's going to save souls. What you need are a few faithful, committed, covenantal people. Because the Holy Spirit is at work. And he references the Spirit in this passage as well. The Spirit is moving. The one that Jesus said, he's coming after I die and go away. And you're going to be better off because the Spirit is going to be with you. The Spirit moves through these few and and moves through them then and moves through us today. We need to remember that the same Holy Spirit that moved on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is the same Holy Spirit that moves through us today. Very same one. Very same one. Too bad about Judas, though. He missed out. Jesus calls Judas a devil, little d, small d. The word there literally means adversary or betrayer or Another way to say it, the person who picked the wrong team. You've probably heard all the talk these days about whether or not you're on the right side or the wrong side of history. You know, if somebody disagrees with you, they always tell you, you're on the wrong side of history, and that's supposed to scare you into changing your mind, I guess. You know, there's never been anyone in history who was, on, uh, was more on the wrong side of history than Judas. That was a guy who was on the wrong side of history. As we wrap up, I just want to reiterate 68 and 69, Peter's words. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Verse 69 is the first strong indication that we get in this gospel that the core of disciples 
They are serious, and they are, if you're a poker player, they're in for the burn. They're in no matter what. It would have been very easy for them to walk away with the rest of those people, that huge crowd. Imagine how easy it would have been for them to go with them. They stayed. He said, we're with you, Jesus. We're not for you, we're with you. And there is a difference. And so this is a pretty significant turning point in the gospel story, and we should relish it. But it also doesn't mean that the disciples are yet fully developed. They still make mistakes. And they still don't understand a lot about what Jesus is saying or doing. Just like us. Just like us. But they stand steadfast. Well, except for Judas, there's always one, you know. But they do stand steadfast. And these disciples now ride with Jesus and ride the undulations, the, up, the ups and downs of a Jesus following life, great sorrow, as well as great joy. There, there are going to be times of, of great lamentation and great celebration. There are going to be times when there are tremendous victories and times when there are solemn defeats. But we need to remember those defeats are not permanent. They're never permanent. They're temporal Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving in us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Isn't it interesting? How many of you have been through some of the worst times in your life and you refer to those times as, oh, these are just light and momentary troubles? That's what Paul calls them. And he's not, he's not discounting how hard life is. He's trying to help us understand the grandeur of eternity. He's saying compared to eternity and the glory that's to come, they really are light and momentary. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but at what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I talk about this in a number of different contexts, including premarital. One of the things I try to tell the, the two spouses-to-be is that you need to remember you're not marrying a finished product, but you're marrying a work in progress. And I know that's, that's hard, especially in our world, because our world is all about finished products. And, and I would even argue that's not even a bad thing. I would never stand up here and tell you, listen, you all need to change your resumes and your um, social media profiles and everything that has to do with your success in the marketplace. I want you to change them so that you look really average and mediocre and let everybody know that you make a lot of mistakes and that you're just kind of working things out. You're probably not going to get a lot of business doing it that way. You're not going to get a lot of interviews. You're not going to get hired for anything. We have to present ourselves as finished products. In fact, so many of the spouses that I'm doing premarital, spouses to be that I'm doing premarital for, they got together on social media platforms where they were presenting themselves as finished products. Otherwise, they wouldn't, get, they wouldn't have gotten together. Right? But you're a work in progress. That's the way God sees us. And we live in that tension. We shouldn't try to purge one and just live in the other. Just understand that God sees us as a work in progress. He says, though the outer self is wasting away, I look in the mirror and go, amen. The outer self is wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. God is working with us all the time. He tells the Philippians, and I am confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, he says, you are being conformed to the image of God's Son. That's the beauty of the gospel. And every one of these disciples who stuck with Jesus, they were in that same boat. And, and in a manner of speaking, each one of them eventually wasted away physically. Yet inwardly, the Holy Spirit was renewing them and sanctifying them and building them and encouraging them day by day. That is the exact same thing for us, and it's the same Spirit who's doing it in us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we thank you for your word and its truth. And again, I say that all the time, that we thank you for your word and its truth. But I just want us to be directed to your word for the truth because it directs us to life, and that would be life in you. Life through your Son, life by the filling of your Holy Spirit. So God, help us to do that. Give us the courage to be able to say no to the false gospels of our world and yes to the true gospel of your Son. Give us the courage at the same time to be in this world as a light in this world, but not of this world. We can only do that by your power and grace, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are at our time of reflection and response, and if you don't have a communion kit with you, they're in the lobby, and now would be a great time for you to go ahead and go out and grab one of those. Those of you who are watching uh, the live stream, I hope you have your elements ready. Um, it's coming. I know we're working our way through John, and it's taking a while, so it'll be a while yet, but it is coming. When Jesus sits down the night before he's betrayed with his disciples and he breaks that bread and he says, this is my body for you. And after they'd eaten the bread, they, he takes the cup and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for your sins so that you'd have forgiveness. And Paul tells us the church now, almost 2,100 years later, that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. So it reminds us that when we come to the table and we take communion, the Lord's Supper, that we're confessing our sin, we're confessing our need for Jesus, but we're also celebrating that we are in Christ. This is a celebration as well. And so as we do that, let's remember the salvation that we have. And then as you're ready, you can stand and you can start to sing with uh, Tyler and the band this last song.
thank you for being together today. We want to invite you to a prayer night this Wednesday night that Malia and Trey are leading. Uh, it will have prayer. It will have worship. We'd love for you to join us for that. It's this Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. Let me read our benediction for us. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus.